Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Have you ever needed a genuine miracle? Like like a miracle. Not a gentle touch, not a not a feel good, Pastor, I didn't need to, you know, that message made me feel good, but a true God-given, heaven-sent, only Jesus can answer me miracle. Have you ever needed one of those? Have you ever seen others get answers to prayer and they talk about what God's done for them and what he's doing in their children and how their jobs are going and how they're blessed and they got in this and God blessed them with that and you're sitting there going, that's great. And in the back of your mind, it's like, somebody said, where's mine? Lord, Lord, when when are you going to answer? When is my husband? I mean, there's somebody here that's praying. Some of you are praying, waiting for a mate. Some of you are praying that God will change your mate so you don't have to change mates. (laughs) Maybe you're waiting for a prodigal to come home or a loved one to come out of a time of despair or addiction or just bondage in some area of their life. You just need Jesus to show up. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe, maybe I'm the only person, but there's, there's times when, when I've watched other people and, and I'm ministering to people and I'm seeing God change their children and restore their marriages and do things in other loved ones. And I'm going, Lord, I, I'm the pastor. Like on the way to like their house, could you stop by my house? And just like, I mean, I, I, has anyone ever felt that way besides me? What do you do in those waiting moments? Like, like what do you do when you're waiting for God to answer your prayer, but it hasn't been answered yet? I, I've been a Christian for almost 50 years. I've been preaching for 49 years. Start preaching six months after I became a Christian. And, and today, most all of our children, there's one that's halfway there, are walking in the fulfillment of all that God promised us. And it only took 40 years. They're laughing. <laughs> but now you look at it, And we see all along it was in process. All along God was preparing. All along. And here's what can happen to us. What can happen to us is during that moment we lose heart. During that moment we give up. During those moments we get discouraged. During that moment you just want to quit. Has anybody ever been there? So what do you do in the waiting moments when you're waiting for God to answer you? Today we pick up an amazing story and it begins with a demon-possessed naked man. I mean, how could you go bad from there? Jesus, in the book of Mark, we're going to pick up the story, but Jesus goes and he preaches in an area where Jews have married with non-Jews, and and they, 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 they were commanded not to do that because they lose their spiritual heritage. And so Jesus goes to this area called Gennesaret, and when he gets there, There is a little boy that grew up to be an adult and now is known by simply one thing, the naked demon boy. That's what he's known as. 
They've tried to put clothes on him, he rips them off. They've tried to put chains on him, he rips them off. And different ones, and this is recorded three times, the gospel writers tell us that he's by a graveyard and all he does is, is just growl and, and, and the demons manifest out of him and he torments himself and he torments other people. And Jesus comes through and the demon-possessed man comes and casts himself at Jesus' feet. Jesus cast all the demons out. When he says, what is your name? They say, we're legion, like over a thousand demons. And Jesus cast them out into a herd of a thousand pigs, or pigs. And the pigs run and throw themselves off into the water. And ever since then, crackling has made you fat. All those bad things that happened from pork, that's where they came from, the demons Jesus cast into them. So just look down, demon. And now this guy is with Jesus, and Jesus is teaching, and this naked boy tormented all of his life. You never went around that area. You, you, hide, you hid your kids' faces from him because you know what nakedness is? Nakedness is exposing publicly what should only be seen privately. You know, people that are out of control and they're so out of control, they can't even control it in public. So they're exposing things publicly that they really should not even expose privately. And now here's where we pick up our story in Mark chapter five. Demon boy is now dressed and sitting in Bible study with Jesus. And when they found Jesus, they saw the demonized man sitting there. Now, it's interesting. They call him demonized man because he was no longer demonized, but that's how they identified him. And he was properly clothed and in his right mind. Implication, he usually was naked and out of his mind. Or he was left-handed because only left-handed people are in their right mind. Whatever handed you are, you're the opposite mind. No, 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 it's okay. Seeing what happened to the man possessed by the demons, the people became afraid. Those who witnessed the miracle reported the news to the people and included what had happened to the pigs. And read this with me. Then they asked Jesus to... What? The man that has tormented your children, tormented the community, you couldn't even drive across that way. You couldn't walk across that way. You were afraid. You blocked your kids out. The little boy that grew up troubled, maybe he was abused, maybe he was molested. We don't know what happened. People never get that way accidentally. It's hurt and pain and abuse. And now here he is, clothed, sane, peaceful. He's not growling. He's smiling. He's not screaming. He's sitting quietly listening. He doesn't have to be chained. Jesus has removed all the chains. And now what scares them? A sane, clothed, unchained, normal man. What were they accustomed to that they weren't afraid of? A naked, unchained demon. There's some of your relatives that would rather have you like you used to be when you used to run Peach, LaFondas, the keg. Come on, Roberts, 
all these different bars and clubs, and when you would go and you would act a fool, there are people you know that you're connected to that would rather have you drunk and out of your mind than sane in your right mind in serving Jesus. They weren't afraid of you then. They're just afraid of you now. And they asked Jesus to leave. And I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you. Jesus is a gentleman. And if you don't want him, believe me, he's happy to go find somebody that does. And that's exactly what happens in this story. And as Jesus began to get into the boat to depart, the man who had been set free from the demons said, can I go with you? And Jesus said, no. But he said to him, go back to your home. Go to your mom and daddy that you've tormented all your life. And go tell your family. and Tell them what the Lord has done for you. And tell them how he had mercy on you. So the man left and went to the region of Jordan and parts of Syria to tell everyone he met about what Jesus has done for him. And all the people marveled. And Jesus returned from across the lake. And a huge crowd of people quickly gathered around him at the shoreline. Isn't that amazing? Jesus was rejected one place, but as soon as he got there, somebody else was waiting on him. Listen to me. It's okay since you've given your life to Christ if there are people that don't care for you and they don't like the changes in your life. Just move on. God's telling you to move to other relationships. There are other people waiting to greet you and love on you and welcome you. Just then, a man saw that it was Jesus So he, he did what? He pushed through the crowd and he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and his name was Jairus. He was a Jewish official who was in charge of the local church or synagogue. And he pleaded with Jesus saying to him, please come with me, come with me. My little daughter is at the point of, and she's only 12 years old. Come and lay your hands on her and heal her and she will live. And immediately Jesus went with him and a huge crowd followed, pressing him on all sides. Have you ever been to a Saints game? Like when everybody was hopeful and they might win. Okay, remember that? Okay, I'm now, let's just get the obvious right. All right, I'm sorry about LSU. Okay, but don't worry. You have another loss to look forward to. The Saints are playing today. You know what they say, it's always the darkest before it goes completely black. And gold. Sorry, Pastor Chris. Now, in the crowd, people are pressing on all sides. Now, in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered horribly with what? Continual bleeding for how many years? 12 years. She had endured a great deal of care from various doctors. Yet in spite of spending all she had, On their treatment, she was just getting worse instead of better. And when she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd just like Jairus and came up from behind him and touched his, I'm going to show you that in just a minute, where she kept saying to, if I can just touch his clothes, if I can just touch his clothes, if I can just touch his prayer shawl, I will be healed. And as soon as she touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped and she knew it for she could feel her body being what? Healed of the disease. Listen, let me tell you this. You can feel healing. You can feel healing. How many of you have ever been healed by the power of Jesus? Listen, 
You know how when you're in church and you're worshiping, like worship was so powerful today. Let's give a big hand to our worship team. Such a great job today. And, and, and you, you can, you can, you know, when you we're just worshiping and you just get the free songs. How many don't know what the free songs are? Okay. I'm going to do a series on what the free songs are next week. Free song part one. No, it, it, it means chicken skin. It's a French word for chicken skin. It's the chills. You get the chills, goosebumps. When you do that, what you're doing is your spirit, man, the spirit inside of you, the part of you that's forever, that's eternal, is being energized. The Bible says the same spirit which raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. So when you feel it, literally, it's your spirit gaining strength, being fed, growing. Now, when you get healed, here's what most people say. I felt heat go through all my body. How many, how many of you, when you got healed, that's what it felt like, heat going through your body? Somebody else said it was like electricity. It was like electricity. There were no doctors to confirm this. It was Dr. Jesus. He made her. And when she touched him instantly, she could feel the free songs, this heat flow through her body. And she knew that she was healed. Jesus knew at once that someone had what? Now, how many people do you think could touch Jesus in this crowd? Maybe thousands? Because you know, I guess get to be close to him. Let me. Okay. But you know what's amazing? You can sit here in church and the Holy Spirit can speak to you and there be anointed message and you sit there and go, that was just for me. And somebody walk out and go, that was okay. You're going, okay. Do you know why? Because you were desperate and needy and you came prepared to receive. Listen, you can come to church to hear a sermon or you can come to meet God. Your expectation will determine what you leave with. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him, for he felt power that surged around him, and it passed through him to someone to be healed. And he turned and spoke to the crowd, going, Who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? And I love the disciples. They never have a clue. His disciples said, What do you mean who touched you? Everybody touched you. Look. He looked at the huge, huge crowd. They're pressing all against you, they said. But Jesus' eyes swept across the crowd, just like he is today, looking for the one who touched him for healing. And when the woman who had experienced this miracle realized what had happened, she came before him with trembling and fear. Watch this. That's usually what happens to those of us who are around God but have no clue how much we're loved by God. trembling with fear, and he, she threw herself down at his feet, saying, I, I was the one who touched you. And she told Jesus the story, how been, she'd been sick for 12 years. And Jesus said to her, what? He said, what? Daughter. Daughter. Because you dared to believe, your faith has healed you. Go with peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. And before he had finished speaking, people arrived to Jairus' house, from house, his house, and pushed through the crowd to give Jairus the news. 
There's no need to trouble the master any longer. Your daughter has died. But think about this. He pressed through the crowd. His daughter was not in her final days. She was not in her final week. She wasn't in her final hour. She was in her final minutes. And now Jesus is going with him. That's all that he hoped for. And now Jesus stops for somebody else. He was in charge of the synagogue. Let me translate that. He had to hook up. He knew the other synagogue leader where Jesus grew up in Nazareth being taught and trained. He, he sent someone to him and said, hey, I'm Jairus. I know you don't know me, but I have the local synagogue here. I, I'm in charge of that. I'm your guy, but, but I need a miracle right now. I'll let you come. I'll swap out. You come at the synagogue. You can teach whenever you want. Just come and heal my daughter. But Jesus stops for someone who has no hookup, who has no relationship. And let me give you something better than that. She was unclean. Any woman that was on her cycle was considered unclean. You couldn't touch anyone and you couldn't go to church. She hadn't touched anyone for 12 years. For 12 years. The penalty of of living that way and touching someone could be death. So when Jesus said, who touched me? The reason, part of the reason she was terrified was that she knew what the penalty could be. Isn't it terrible to have something that makes you a stigma to other people and you had nothing at all in your life to choose in having that? And now they come and say, your daughter died. Well, what do you think Jairus is thinking? Why did we stop for this woman? Maybe if we'd have got there earlier, maybe Jesus, if you would have sped up and if we wouldn't have stopped and we wouldn't have gone through all of this. You ever feel that way when God is answering somebody else's prayer and meeting them and you're still waiting for your answer? But Jesus refused to listen to what they had, what? What they told him. Look right here. If you're going to live the Christian life, if you're going to walk in obedience to this word, if the spirit of a resurrected Christ is going to live inside of you, there's relatives you have, there's people you know, there's people you've known all your life that you're going to look at them and go, look, I love you, but I'm not listening to you. I love you, but I refuse. I'm drawing a boundary. You're not going where I want to go. You're not living the way I want to live. And you might be called by my last name and you might even have the same blood as me, but I have another family that's covered in the blood of Jesus and I'm following him and my master, Jesus. Jesus refused to listen to what they were told and he said to the Jewish official, don't yield to fear. Remember, she fell down afraid. Don't yield to fear. All you need to do is to keep on what? So they left for his home, but Jesus didn't allow anyone to go with him except Peter and the two brothers, Jacob or James and John. And they arrived at the home of the synagogue ruler and they encountered a noisy uproar of the people for they were all weeping and wailing because the little girl had died. Upon entering the home, Jesus said to them, why are y'all all weeping? What's all of this grief and weeping? Don't you know the little girl is not dead, but merely And then they went from weeping to ridiculing Jesus and making fun of him. But what did Jesus do? Say it, come on. 
You know, the, the, the Greek word here throughout is the word ikbalo. And that's what, when a javelin thrower would throw a javelin, that's what it was. So he didn't go, hey, would y'all mind leaving the service? He's like, out! Don't, don't feel bad. Nine of the disciples didn't make it in there. They've maybe been the bodyguard. Doubting Thomas didn't go in there. None of them. Peter, James, and John. And he threw them out. Then he took the child's father and mother and the three disciples and went into the room where the child was lying. And he tenderly grabbed the little girl's hand. And he said to her in Aramaic something. Which means (laughs) little girl or little lamb wake up from the sleep of death. And instantly, the 12-year-old girl sat up, stood up to her feet, and started walking around the room. And Kurt Franklin started singing, let's get this party started. And they kept singing, come alive, come alive. In the name of Jesus, come alive. This is a house of miracles. Wow. What amazing stories weaved into each other. Jesus being rejected by the garrisons and then crossing across the lake and going to people that were begging him. You know, the Bible was not written in chapter and verse. It was later added so that we could readily access what we're looking for. This story ends in chapter five, but in chapter six, Jesus goes to Nazareth. And do you know what happens when he gets to Nazareth, his hometown? You know what they, Michelle and I were just in Nazareth. You, you, know, what, you know what they did? Anybody know? They rejected him. So watch this. Jesus goes from being rejected for healing somebody to performing two miracles that are still being preached about 2,000 years later to being rejected again. Why are you saying this, Pastor? Look right here. Because the enemy's plan is always to wound you where God wants to use you. Because you know what happens when we get rejected? You know what you say? I'm not doing that anymore. I've helped people and they spit in my face. I've done good for them and they stabbed me in the back. I helped them and they were down and they forgot that about me. Look at me. Look right here. What we do for other people, we do it for God, not for them. They benefit. We're actually doing it for him. And in those moments where people stab you in the back, deny you and reject you, you get to find out whether you did it for them or whether you did it for him because he always returns the reward. He always returned. You sow in one field and reap in another. It doesn't matter what I did for you that you didn't return for me. I did it because of him, not because of you. I did because of him. I did that because of him too. Why is this so significant? Because the enemy's goal with rejection is to scar you so that you see the rest of your life through that rejection. I, I, I wear glasses. My wife likes me to wear these glasses. She doesn't like my other glasses because they have scratches all over them. The enemy's design is to scratch you at a moment in your life when you're young so that you see the rest of your life through that scratch, that pain, that stain of rejection. But watch this. So rejected, miracle, miracle, rejected. 
Jesus told the disciples, when you go to city to city, I'm giving you power to heal the sick, cast out demons. And then he said this, if they don't accept you, here's what I want you to do. What did he say? Shake the dust off your feet. Shake the dust, take your sandals off and shake the dust off of your feet. You know why? Because we were made from dust. And if you don't shake it off, it sticks on you and it affects every relationship you have from that point on. And instead of God healing you in this area, you end up taking the very pain somebody put on you and putting it on others each step along the way of your journey and the enemy wins. That's for some people here. Look at me. Just because you've been rejected, look at me. It doesn't matter. You were loved and accepted by your father. What is this woman with an issue? Show us about how to walk through our own issues until we get a miracle. I believe there's four things she shows us. Number one, she pushed through. She pushed through the crowd. Now, what you think about this? Jairus wasn't sick. Jairus had a means, affluence. Jairus had a title. Jairus is in charge of a spiritual region in a church. She had no money. She'd been bleeding for 12 years, so you know that she was weak. Yet in spite of her weakness and in spite of 12 years of bankrupting herself, trying to get well, she pressed through the crowd. Look right here. What do you do when you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying? I'll tell you what you do. You do what every single child of God I know has done. Every single spiritual grandmother and grandfather that I know. Some of you are sitting in this room because you had a mother or a father or a grandmother or a grandfather that held on to the promises of God and claimed that never stop preaching to you, never stop praying for you, never stop reminding you of God's faithfulness. And they might be gone, but you're now here in the place they always wanted you all along. <laughs> Hebrews says this, you need perseverance so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what? What he's promised you. When I was a young Christian, two men greatly influenced my life. The man that led me to Christ and raised me for 10 years like his own son since I was 14. And he always worked with his father-in-law who was the pastor of the church. He was a pastor and assistant pastor. I called him Paul Paul Weathers. He started preaching when churches, it was horse and buggy only. And he would set up a tent, and if it rained, the people couldn't come to church because they had to come on wagons. And he would tell me stories about how they slept on apple crates and started from nothing. And I came, one of the things that I'll never forget that he told me, he must have told me 5,000 times, he looked at me as a young preacher, 14, 15 years old, and he said, Jacob, I want to tell you something. Persistence is greater than genius. And then he looked at me and he goes, and you're no genius, so you better be persistent. Even though she'd walked through this for 12 years, she refused to remain the same way. Remember I told you about Michelle and I? We are watching the fruition of all of our prayers for our children. It only took 40 years. But I'm going to tell you what the black preacher said. He's slow, but he show. <laughs> Here's the second thing. 
she kept saying to herself, if I can only touch the hem of his garment. Faith not only talks to God, it talks to you. Dr. Darius Daniel says it like this. It's not what happens to you, it's the story you tell yourself. How many of you know people that are completely negative? How was Thanksgiving? Well, considering everybody came, nobody died, it was okay. How was the food? It's Thanksgiving, you know. How many of you know people like that? Everybody coming for Christmas? I guess if I get them gifts, they will. I don't know. I regret what I gave them last year. Should have saved that money, ungrateful, wretched kids. How many of you know people that way? Don't get your hopes up. You'll always be let down. You can always count on me. I'll let you down if nobody else will. Your self-talk matters. You know what she kept saying? You know what pushed that little 80-pound, still bleeding for 12 years, bankrupt woman through? She just kept saying to herself, if I could just get through to him, if, if I can just touch his prayer shawl, if I could just get close. I'm going to show you prayer shawl in just a minute. We saw him all over Israel. If I can just, if I can. She kept telling herself, if I can just get a touch from Jesus, I can be well. What do you tell yourself? What do you tell yourself? I say the same thing when people ask me how I'm doing. It's the same answer every time. Better than I deserve. Most people go, oh, that's good. Yeah, I've had like two people go, no, I think you deserve better. I'm going, you, you don't really know me that well, but yes. It is. On my worst day, I'm the most blessed person I know, yet I know people that live in houses nicer than mine, got more resources than I've ever had, more relationships than I've ever had, and they don't even believe they're blessed. It's not what happens to you. It's the story you tell yourself. I'm sorry if you didn't have a daddy, but when your father and mother forsake you, the Lord will take you up. You can go from that daddy to that daddy. I'm sorry that you were rejected, but if you will embrace the family of God, God wants to give you more in spiritual family than you could have ever had in your earthly family. She kept saying to herself, faith talks to itself. Sometimes you got to grab yourself like this and go, God is with me. God is for me. God is for me. Don't you love that song when we sing that God is for me? You know, that song that we sing is actually a prayer that God told Moses, whenever the children of Israel gather together, when they get ready to leave, say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. Maybe, it, that is what he told them to say. So when we sing that, we're actually singing exactly what God told Moses for the people to say and sing. So when we get to that part and go, God is for me, God is for me, I'm up here, God is for me, God is for me. God is for me. Would you say it with me? God is for me. Come on, God's for me. I'm sorry about your daddy. I'm sorry about your mama. I'm sorry about the family you came from. I'm sorry that people thought that you were the least of your family. I'm sorry that you didn't get promoted like you should or fulfilled the things that you thought you would do yet, but God is for me. And Paul finished that sentence by saying, if God is for me, who can be against me? 
And somebody else said, Pastor, I'll give you a list of all the people that are against you. <laughs> that was that other guy. Third, she touched his prayer shawl. I want to show you what a prayer shawl looks like. Look at this. When you go, when we were at the Wailing Wall, everyone had these on Shabbat, which starts Friday night at 6 o'clock. Michelle and I went to a Shabbat meal. All the men are wearing that. That is what you wear when you go to pray. A prayer shawl. It reminds you. And we would watch them at the table. And they would break bread, each drink a little wine. And then the father would pray over each of the children. One at a time they would come. He'd pray over them. And then he'd kiss them on each cheek. And then they'd go to the next part of the meal. As he had this on, praying over them. Look right here. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you have or don't have. Prayer always puts you in instant communication with your father. Everybody knew Jairus. Nobody knew this little woman but Jesus. But he's the only one that needed to know who she was. The disciples couldn't have pulled her out of a lineup, but Jesus pulled her out of a crowd of thousands. And then finally, she had prayer and the promises of God. On this prayer shawl, it's called a tallit, were some blue tassels that represented the promises of God. Listen to this, Numbers 15, 38. Speak to the children of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread of tassels on its corners. And you shall have the tassels that you may look upon it and remember... All the commandments of the Lord to do them, that you may follow them and not follow the harlotry of which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy. The, you see, the, you know what this is? This is my reminder. It reminds me of what God has done for other people. It reminds me of what he's done for me. It's my reminder. But look at me. I can sleep with the Bible here and here and here. But where it needs to be it needs to be in my heart. But the purpose of it this is the rules. The purpose of it is relationship. Let, let me explain. Don't get mad at me. Just look at me and say, Pastor, I'm not going to get mad at you. I promise. Okay, here we go. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Okay, don't get mad if you're not married. There's a lot of people that raise their hands that wish they'd have waited. Okay. <laughs> Secondly, how many of you have a marriage license? Okay, those of you who don't, another message for another time. Question number three. How many of you know where your marriage license is? Okay. Question number four. How many of you have looked at it lately? Raise your hand high. Those are people thinking about dissolving it. Thank you so much for not doing that. <laughs> Seeing any fine print in there. It didn't tell me that he did that. <laughs> okay. okay, watch this. But here's a, here's a massive question. How many of you have kissed your marriage license lately? 
How many of you kissed it in the last year? Two years. Three years. Four years. Okay, I'm going to be honest and make a confession with my beautiful princess right here. I don't even know where our marriage license is. <laughs> but if I did know where it is, which I don't, I would never kiss it once, but I kiss that princess every morning. Look at me. God's design for you, this is the reminder. This is the tassel. When she said, if I can just touch that tassel, the word of God, the word of God is the reminder of what God's going to do. And I've held on to that tassel until my children became what those tassels said they would become. Both me and my household shall be saved. The seed of the righteous shall be delivered. I've held on to those tassels when I didn't feel very loved because Paul said, for I'm persuaded neither hype nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor any other created thing can separate me from the love of God. So I knew God loved me even if I didn't feel like he loved me. Why? I was holding on to the tassels. The promises of God. The promises of God. In the end of the story, what did Jairus get back? He got his daughter back. He got his miracle, didn't he? But you know what the woman with the issue of blood got? You know what she got? Her infirmity would no longer be her identity. Because you know what he said to her? He didn't say this to Jairus. He said, daughter. Daughter. He would wake up a dead girl to bring her back to her daddy. But in that moment, he became her daddy. He became her daddy. Can, can I tell you what that means? I, I have a little experience. I have an adopted child. I have an adopted child. And do you know what? She got access to Everything, everybody born in our family got access to. The moment she walked in her house, and I walked in her house, and she called Michelle Mama and me Daddy. And then she went to school, and they said, and what's your daddy's name? And she said, Pastor Jacob. We realized there was a few things we had to go back and teach her. Do you know what children get? You know what daughters get? You know what daughters get? Number one, daughters get access. Access. I can walk in my daddy's house. That's my daddy. That's my mama. They get access. You, you know, sometimes people tell me it's terrible. People go, Pastor Jacob, you're intimidating. I'm going, are you just afraid of tall Mexicans? Have you been stained by El Paso? Look at me. My children aren't intimidated by me at all because they have 24-hour access. Do you know what you have as a child of God? Come on. You have 24-hour access to the Father. You have 24-hour access, access to Jesus. You have 24-hour access to the Holy Spirit. All you got to do, he's right there in you. All you got to do is call on him. He's already there. You just need to acknowledge that he's there. Here's the second thing you get. As a daughter or a son, you get authority. 
authority. Along the way, my children building their testimony. I have children that are serving God and I have children that are building their testimony. I mean, got some building their testimony. They're coming. They're just building it now. They'd get pulled over by the police for various and sundry reasons that remain unnamed since we're speaking to the people at jail. They'd walk up, policemen walk up to the car. Can I see your license? Going to go. Aranza. Your daddy's Pastor Jacob? Yes, sir. He buried my mama. Slow down, son, and tell your daddy, I said, hey, when you see him, that you met so-and-so. You know what they get with that? They get authority, the authority of the name. You know what you and I have? We have authority to faith. We have authority for, for fear to be gone. We have authority for courage. We have authority over sin, sickness, and disease. We have authority. And here's the last thing. The third thing she got was the anointing. All my children had to move and go away to get it. But when they were here, they used to say this. Everywhere I go, I'm Pastor Jacob's son. I'm Pastor Jacob's son. I mean, everywhere I go, I'm Pastor Jacob's son. Would you like to be, would you like me to tell you your mama made an accident and you, the neighbors across the street, I mean, what would you like me? I'm sorry. I mean, I, I can't be anybody else. Look at me. But now that they've grown up and come back, people walk up to him and go, they'll walk up to Joseph after he preaches and go, I've been watching your daddy and I remember when he was your age and you remind me of your daddy. And do you know what happens to us when the anointing of the Spirit of God is upon us? We remind the world of our father. Why, why are you paying for my groceries? Why are you paying for my gas? Why did you stop and help me? Why did you forgive me? Why do you keep being kind? Why do you keep being generous? Why do you keep... I just want to remind you of him. You see, Jairus got a miracle. <laughs> but the greatest miracle God ever performs is not when he physically raises the dead or heals blind eyes makes the lame walk. The greatest miracle God ever performs is when he takes a spiritually dead, unholy person out of an unholy world, washes them in the blood of Jesus, fills them with the Spirit, raises them from the spiritually dead just like we reflected through baptism, fills them with the Spirit and places them back in that unholy world and keeps them holy by the grace of God, resurrected, Christ living inside of them as a new redeemed species created in the image of their Father. Today, I wish you knew how much your father loved you. I, I, I wish you knew the lengths at which God has gone and the people that he sent across your path to answer your grandmother's prayers and your mother's prayers and your grandfather's prayers and your grandmother. Oh, I wish you knew the lengths of which he's gone to reveal his love to you. God is crazy about you. You are the apple of his eye. And there is nothing that can separate you from God. 
but the lies you believe. God is for you. He is. I want you, he's for me. Come on, say it with me. He's for me. God is. God is. God is. God is. God, you're for me. Today, Father, we thank you that you're here. That right now you're taking your love and you're shedding it abroad, our hearts, in each of our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's reminding us of the desperate love that you have for us. That you've heard every heart cry. That when we wept over our things that have happened to us, you wept. That when things broke us that we experienced, Lord, you were broken over them. The world's never been what you wanted to be since the fall. But you're here today. You're here today. You're here right now in this room, right now in this room. Just take a deep breath right now. Holy Spirit, we receive you right now. You're here in this room right now. Thank you for my new identity as a blood-washed, born-again child of God with access, authority, and your anointing. And now with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. You see, until you're born again, you don't have the capacity to experience this overwhelming love from God that will wash you and make you clothed and in your right mind, that will raise you from the spiritually dead as Jairus' daughter was raised, that will bring healing to things that have generationally been in your life as flowing issues that you've seen in your family for generations. It all begins by you becoming a son and daughter. A son and daughter. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never been born again. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom or enter the kingdom. Pastor, how can I do that? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. That he paid for all your sin, past, present, and future, so you wouldn't pay for it with guilt and fear, shame and condemnation anymore. And see, confess Christ as you receive him, as your Lord and Savior. And through repentance, turn away from the things that have been your chains and nakedness to turn completely to him. It only happens once. You're only born again once. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. But today, I want to know God. Today, I want him to call me son and daughter. Then on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand high so I can pray for you. And then I'm going to just pray for you right at your seat, right where you are. One, God brought you here. Nothing is an accident. Even the things that happened in your life this week weren't an accident. They led you to this moment. Two, God has been 
waiting. You know how you get aggravated when you wait 15 minutes for somebody and you leave? You'd only wait an hour for somebody really important? Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit have waited for you all of your life. And they're still not mad. They're just waiting. And now's your moment to be born again, to come to know God. Three, if that's you, raise your hand high. I'm going to pray for you. Raise it high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Okay, you could put your hands down. Eighteen, put your hands down. Last 10 seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these 18, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I don't know why I waited. Like that woman, I'm afraid. But I know it's what I need. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I'm asking this last time for you. Raise it and wave it at me. And join these 19. Come on, wave it at me. Wave it at me. 20. All right. Now, church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raise their hand. We're going to join you together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my guide. And I am a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen.